Today, we have an interview with Jesse and Aiden from Common Ground Aotearoa, an advocacy group based in Te Whanganui Atara, Wellington, who are advocating for a change in the rate system in our capital. Welcome, Jesse and Aiden. Hey, Hi. thanks for having us on. Yeah, it's great to have you here. So, first up, what is Common Ground Aotearoa? How did you get involved and, and what, what is your purpose? Yeah, so at the core of it, Common Ground Aotearoa is an organisation dedicated to trying to get more housing built. Um, that is kind of our core purpose. And the way in which we hope to achieve that is by moving the rate system in local government from its current form of being based on capital value, which means the total value of your property, to land value. So land value rates is the policy. Um, so we're an advocacy and research organisation dedicated to that. Um, we have a few people who involved in the organization but it's predominantly me and Aiden who started that organization and who run it day to day um and yes yeah, so we do a lot of things including um including talking to community groups counselors um policy professionals and generally trying to build support and awareness of this idea around Aotearoa um and the way we sort of got into it is just sort of by thinking about what are some perhaps underutilized ways in which we could try and get more housing built in New Zealand or which we could improve equity in New Zealand. There's a lot of discussion at the national level about things like capital gains taxes, wealth taxes, even um, land tax at the national level proposed by the Opportunities Party. But not very much attention has been put on these kinds of issues at the local level and how changing our rate system could help lower income people and could help get more houses built. So we're kind of thinking that's a really important way to move forward and no one's really looking at it so we thought it was very important that we start an organization get some momentum going in this area and so far it's been going quite well and we're really keen to keep keep pushing forward that's an excellent summary uh, i'm looking forward to exploring this a little bit more and obviously um you know the housing crisis is front of mind for so many people in in our country um and in Wellington, it's particularly acute at the moment in, in Wellington Central. Um, mm -hmm. So w what are the benefits of, of a land value rates approach versus, versus the capital value, which is pretty much used nationwide? I think the, the, the first big one that we like to talk about is this kind of virtuous cycle for infrastructure. So we like to think about how infrastructure, whenever council is, is building it or providing it, uh, is providing a huge amount of value, sure, to people, but also to land. And there's a car park opposite my flat um, that is really close to an event centre, and that car park is in the middle of town. It hasn't um, been built at all, but it benefits hugely from the infrastructure or the, the council event centre that's just been built there. Um, and so currently, it's getting this massive um, increase in its value because it's a car park um, right opposite an event center, I suppose, so it can make a whole lot of money. Um, and it would be better if that infrastructure, which, which was so costly um, and cost the rate, rate payer so much, um, was just paid for by the benefits of the of the people who, who benefited most. Um, and council tries to do this currently. They put these, um, they, they, they put these uh, little per unit charges on um, anyone who, has benefited from, say, a cycleway in that area and try to claw back the cost of that infrastructure. Um, and that is obviously bureaucratic and less clean. Land value rates can make sure that 
um, the, the the value of the asset that that benefits the the, the land um, becomes taxed and taxed more accurately by the council. Yeah. So the the benefit there, we're, you're relying on it being caught in in the in the market there and reflected in the land price ultimately, rather than um, the team at the council trying to work through some beneficiary analysis to try prove who who benefits from the cycle weight, the, exactly the, new, right. the new pipes, um, that sort of investment, right. Um, yeah. th- I mean, there's other benefits. Uh, I mean, one one that we, we talk about and have on our website is just relief for renters, right? If you have uh, a land value rates, People are more likely to be productive with um, their land because they're they're not being punished for um, building on it. So um, if someone wants to um, use land really productively and maybe build a tall building or um, build a a duplex or something like that where it's appropriately zoned, um, they, in the current system, are going to have to pay a lot more rates because they're putting um, they're making their property more valuable. Um, but under our system, they wouldn't have to pay any more rates, right? The, the land would remain the, the same price. Um, and yep. so therefore the, the, um, the rates that they would pay would, um, would be the same no matter what they build. Um, and so this encourages the building of housing and um, relieves, of course, um, renters uh, who pay so much in the Wellington market currently. Yeah, and tying it back to the start of the conversation, that car park opposite your flat becomes incentivized to be more than a car park. Maybe it's a car park with apartments on top. Or, exactly right. Or or shift towards, yeah, high productive uses. Yeah, I mean, we're not opposed to, to car parks. Um, we, we would be happy if it was a 10-story car park in the middle of town with 10 more stories of apartments on top or something like that. <laughs> but a, a, a single-story car park is not doing good for anyone. Yeah, yeah. And, and just just to put some kind of like numbers on what that could kind of look like, I think we looked at this specific car park um, near where Aiden lives in the Wellington CBD, and we looked at an ex- almost an exactly identical piece of land next to it that had a big office block on it, and the office block was paying something like four hundred thousand dollars a year more in rates. So this is this is a very real amount of money that has a real impact on what you decide to do. And definitely when it, when the owners of this land are considering, well, should we leave it a car park? Should we make it housing? Should we make it an office block? That kind of um, like yearly cost from a huge increase of rates from building is a very real cost to them at the moment. And we want to do our best to try and relieve that cost to make sure stuff actually gets built. Yeah, that's that's a great example. We might have to link to it in uh, below the podcast. Um, so, as well as sort of incentivizing better urban form, um, how does this interact with sort of other policy considerations, transport projects, zoning laws? So we, the way we like to think about it is, there's two really important things that you can do to get more housing built. Um, the first one is to legalize more housing. Currently. Um, in a lot of councils and a lot of places across New Zealand, it's not, um, there's not sufficient zoning um, allowances for building more housing, particularly more dense housing. And then the second is actually incentivizing that housing to get built um, through the rate system. 
Um, and these things are really work well together. And there's a problem if you only do one and not the other. So the good news is that in New Zealand, thanks to the um, last government we're doing, and current councils, we're making a lot of progress in, in allowing the legalization of a lot more dense housing. But yep. we're not fully there all the way in terms of removing all of the barriers to actually making sure it gets built. Um, so we view the kind of land value rates push as being very cohesive and very in line with the broad push to legalize and more housing to upzone um, central cities, and that the push to make to make those zoning changes is not fully going to be realized and is not going to see its full benefits unless we also remove the barriers. Um, unless we also remove the barriers to housing being built in a financial sense, which is the rate system, um, and then also. As Aidan mentioned, with this kind of idea of um, like when councils invest in projects, like he mentioned the event center in Wellington, um, where that increases land value and land value rates as a system helps to capture that, that can also help to make those projects cheaper in the long run um, through this kind of idea of value capture. It's like, okay, so we're going to spend a billion dollars on this awesome new public space or this new transit line. But this billion dollar project is going to generate for us maybe a few hundred million dollars worth of land value that we can then capture back as a city council. And if you can do that, that can mean, well, OK, so we spent a billion dollars, but we're able to get back 400 million in, re in revenue. So yeah. that means we're only really spending 600 million dollars. So that can bring down the price tag of some of these important transport projects um, like light rail, for example. And yeah. we've actually seen that happen in a lot of other cities, such as Sydney, um, with their recent light rail project. And so it's really important that the more of that value we can capture back, um, the more that we're able to do these, you know, to, to make to make better things, to actually build stuff and to build things that make our cities better. Um, so we're really about trying to make those as affordable as possible. And land value rates is a big, big part of how we do that. Yeah, I can see I can see why this should be appealing to uh, particularly local councils who are near their debt ceilings um, and generally struggling to find um, pathways forward in terms of funding uh infrastructure and um well services in general so are there uh specific case studies or examples where where this has been successfully implemented yeah so um i guess uh, urban planning people or just um people who are interested in public policy always like to talk about the example of singapore um, it clearly has enough uh, housing for people to the extent that um, there are no homeless people. It has a land tax um, to help it do that, and it helps it use um, uh, its its land really efficiently, especially um, being pretty uh, sparse on space um, yep. with having a very small country. Um, there are other examples like um, Victoria, that the state of Victoria has a 0.2% land tax, um, and that helps it gather revenue in a way that um, is uh, not creating any deadweight loss because you can't um, prevent uh, land from existing by by taxing it like other goods um, uh, might yeah might yep. might have. Um, but there there's an example in Pennsylvania, I believe, of of one particular mayor who was uh, very passionate about land tax when it was implemented, and it essentially turned the town from a ghost town that was that had its um its uh its industry leaving it. Um, and revitalized it. Uh, I, Jesse, do you have that quote? Uh, on I actually, I can pull that quote up now. So, 
Yeah, so we actually have a couple of quotes, but so there was a few, there were a few cities in Pennsylvania in the US that that implemented um, land value rates in the 70s and 80s. Um, and they saw really amazing results, um, particularly some of these cities that were doing quite poorly before. So here's a quote from the mayor of Harrisburg, which is a medium-sized city. Um, and it, he says, um, um, the city of Harrisburg was considered the second most distressed city in the United States 12 years ago under the federal distress criteria. Um, since then, over $1.2 billion of new investment has occurred here, reversing nearly three decades of very serious previous decline. None of this happened by accident, and a variety of economic development initiatives and policies were created and utilized. The land value rate system, they call it something else, but that's what, what it is, um, has been and continues to be one of the key local policies that has factored into this initial economic success here. Um, and then you have, a, that that's just one of the cities that did it. You also have like um, um, former city council president of Pittsburgh, which is another city that did it talking about how a second renaissance occurred in their city after they enacted it. So there's a lot of good evidence from cities that, um, particularly um, ones where you could see perhaps some cities in New Zealand, like Wellington, there's some discussion of like, is Wellington in decline? Is Wellington like the city it used to be? When you have a situation like that, land value rates can really help turn it around. And there's a lot of good examples that this has happened overseas. Um, and then another big thing that we see from these examples also is just that really helps with um, stabilizing cities' finances. Um, so you had another city in Pennsylvania that did this, Allentown, and um, former U.S. Senator said, um, when the people of Allentown voted for the land value tax in 1994, nearly three out of every four properties saw at least some sort of tax cut. Today, many of the properties that did pay more have new or better buildings on them stabilizing the tax base to the point where we haven't had a tax increase in five years. So that's the kind of that I, I should hope that that sounds like really good news to a lot of councillors who could be listening to this, who are very concerned about the, the fiscal state of their city at the moment, in that if a land under if you move to a land value model, it is really good for the long term financial health of your city and your ability to fund important projects. Yeah. And to to zero in, those are really interesting case studies from Pennsylvania and uh, uh, Pittsburgh is probably one of the the few East Coast cities that really had a revival in, in that period. Um, but to zero in a little bit more on, on one of your points there is it, basically land value rates compared to capital are progressive. Yes. Um, yeah, actually, that's a really good, um, important point that we should raise is that um, we do a lot of analysis um of like what the impact would be on ratepayers on um in a variety of different uh cities and districts across New Zealand and in every single place we've looked at if you move to land value rates um in particular one of the big things that we push for as well is not just getting rid of capital value rates but also um getting rid of these kind of like fixed charges like uniform charges that are also quite regressive um under our preferred model which is just moving to a purely based on land value system um generally um, across New Zealand, the average rate pair would see a 5 to 10% decrease in their rates, and that number tends to be higher um, for people who are lower income or have lower value properties. Um, and it can be, and in some in some places, it's it's an even bigger number. Like in Queenstown, we found that the average rate pair would pay 28% less um, under a land value rates model. So it's a, it's a very progressive policy, both in terms of the average person gets a, gets a decrease in their rates, but also in terms of people who are the worst off, you know, the most vulnerable homeowners would see the biggest decreases 
Um, and we think that's a really good benefit as well, even after even ignoring the all the other important benefits we talked about, like um, the benefits for transport projects, for building more housing and all of that. Yeah. And this is, I mean, hardly surprising to anyone kind of probably involved mm. in this space, looking at, at land values and where where we typically see the the demographics and income change across our cities, the more central you are, the more accessible and typically higher amenity areas, uh, the the land values are going to be much higher there. And that's the same reason we want to incentivize higher density in those locations so more people can access that amenity and 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 actually spread that that land cost as well across more people to make it more affordable. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. So this this sounds good. Um, but what are the barriers to land value rates? What needs to change for councils to adopt this approach? Um, yeah, so one of the biggest barriers I think that, that we're currently facing is some misconceptions about what it what it would mean. So um I think broadly, um broadly on the kind of stuff we talk about, particularly with incentivizing more housing, that it's a good idea to um to move to land value because it means that we get more housing built um when we say that to a lot of a lot of councillors um and other people they're broadly in favor um but one thing that we struggle with is people have um quite a lot of um pre-baked misconceptions that it would mean that a lot of um lower income people would pay more or that it wouldn't be progressive and so a lot of what we've been trying to do is research and analysis to basically show that this isn't the case and that it is progressive it would be beneficial for lower income people as well as just getting a lot more housing built as well. Okay. So there aren't any legislative barriers to this. Um, so Aiden, would you, do you want to answer that? Yeah, one? sure. I mean, there, there actually are in Auckland specifically. Um, so uh, Auckland, when it was becoming a super city, uh, had all these different little councils that had their own uh, rating systems. Some used land value as their basis and some used capital value. Uh, and so the central government had to make a decision for them uh, as to what rating system they would uh, use in the super city. And they legislated at, a, at a, a central government level that Auckland would use capital value rates. Um, so there's like one exception, I guess, in terms <laughs> of um, the legislative barriers, um, but it's the biggest exception, right? Um, Jesse and I talk about how we would trade anything um, uh, and, and our entire Wellington campaign, I suppose, for Auckland to just have land value rates. That would make so much of a difference um, for, for so many um, people across, uh, I, I guess, New Zealand, just on the basis of how many people um, uh, Auckland has. But yeah. yeah. So that that's something uh, potentially for uh, Mayor Wayne Brown to add to his his local Auckland Auckland bill. Uh, that's a that's a great point. But so for other councils, there there is no legislative barrier. They could go ahead and change this for the yep. next ratings period. Um, why do you think this hasn't happened? Is it is it purely down to sort of misconceptions? Um, are there are there drawbacks? What what's the counterpoint to this? Why why would councils choose to have uh, capital value rates? So we've talked to a lot of like good faith councillors about this, uh, and 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 found that a few people have um, 
like already founded opposition. And one reason is that they think it reflects the consumption of council services better. So if you have more capital value, maybe you have more people living in your um, in your place and you're richer, I suppose, um, and therefore you're consuming count, uh, council services at a, at a greater rate. Um, while that may be true uh, and and like a car park that has barely any improvement value uh, doesn't really um, take any council services, that's not really how we think um, uh, we should give out government services uh, and, and tax it back. We think that government should not be this transactional um, clawback mechanism for trying to, you know, build a pool, build an event center, and then charge everyone who goes there the exact like um, cost associated with them entering the building. Um, we, we think that things should be subsidized and should be, you know, paid for by a pool of, I guess, uh, resources from uh, a taxation base that is efficient. So, an efficient taxation base, we think, is land because land makes these free gains off doing no work essentially um, and and taxing that has no deadweight loss as in it doesn't create any less land or any worse land um, and that means we can fund services um, for uh, people across every city in New Zealand um, using uh, the, the the free gains uh, of, of land bank essentially. So the, the, the barrier is essentially in understanding that logic of of um of how uh councils should provision services and 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 tax um the the money that they need in order to to pay for those services and and crucially this is how what we basically want to move towards is how central government already operates in the sense that central government currently raises a lot of its revenue through say income tax and gst um this has nothing to do with how central government spends the money so central government doesn't tax um old people more because they spend on superannuation or they spend more on healthcare they don't tax people who have large families a lot more because they send more of their kids to public schools we have this idea at central government in new zealand that um people should pay into the common good and then they should receive services and 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 support from the government in according to what is best for overall society. We think this works really well. It's how we have, you know, things like our education sector and our healthcare sector. But unfortunately, at local government, we've kind of forgotten this idea. And we have this problem where we're trying to treat it like a business. So basically, this isn't like a radical idea. This isn't a huge change in, in a sense, because we just want to move to what central government um, already does. Um, and the thing, the thing I try to get across to like um, councillors about this is it's all very fine and well to say, well, the, the fairest system in one sense is to make people who have more capital value pay more. But I like to ask them, what outcome are you looking for? Ignore what you, whether you, what you think in some abstract sense who should pay. What outcome are you trying to achieve? Um, because on all of the relevant outcomes that we care about, whether it's getting more housing built, lowering rates for rent, um, lowering rates for low income homeowners and supporting like transit projects, land value rates gives all the better outcomes. So it's just trying to like push the idea that we should really care about those core outcomes instead of some preconceived notion of like how local government should operate is, a, is the really difficult barrier that we've been facing. But we're making we're making some good progress with that. And that's a big part of what we do is trying to help people get over those hurdles. 
Yeah, I, I think that's that's a really interesting point to note how local and central government fundamentally operate in, in a very different manner. Um I also thought it was a it's quite interesting to, you know, hear the argument about capital value reflecting uh sort of resources demanded, but also who benefits. And this reflects kind of wider funding and financing challenges uh and conversations. I've mm. I've been hearing it's you know the use of targeted rates or the uh, infrastructure funding and financing um special purpose vehicles and levies through that and who benefits and who pays cool um so your your campaign so far has focused on Wellington um I understand there was a rates review underway there yeah so um the the rates review is happening essentially at the moment, but unfortunately, um, because of the big kind of nature of the decision about capital value rates versus land value rates, um, they've delayed that specific decision until um, early 2025. So even though they're deciding on some other things to do with rates at the moment, um, all of the big important stuff to do with land value rates will be happening uh, like late 2024, early 2025. And is that to align with uh, a new long-term plan? I'm trying to think of the timing here. Is, is there a particular reason for that that delay or? Um, I think it's just a question of council capacity. Um, that actually also comes back to kind of what the barriers are. One of the big barriers is just that councils have limited capacity to look at a bunch of different issues, um, especially if the staffers haven't really looked at a lot of this kind of thing yeah. before. And so Wellington City Council, I think, had a bit of a problem with too much too much going on, too much on their plate. So that's basically why they've decided to push it back a bit. Um, but the the reason for early 2025 is they still want to make sure this this gets looked at um, before the next uh, council elections. Hmm. I see. Very good. And yeah, that's that is something I do have sympathy for those working in local government. There is a there is a lot to do. Um, our our cities are facing a lot of challenges, and um, yeah, unfortunately, we can't. F- change everything overnight as much as as much as we wish we could um so wellington's a focus at the moment are you are you looking towards other cities do you have have a team anywhere else what's what's the story there yeah i mean we we're looking all across new zealand um uh, jesse has been doing a huge amount of analysis for every city essentially and in our new website revamp that's going to be reflected um so we are yeah really interested in um getting land value rates across the line in, in cities that we've uh talked to councillors like um uh, Queenstown and New Plymouth uh, uh I don't know if how, how many other examples are there Lower Hutt is a big one we're really interested in Auckland even though there's the legislative barrier we still need to look at central government changing the rules we wanted to make a big a big effort there so we've been talking to a few councillors there um generally our, our approach is that the places that have um some of the highest land values um are often um places that are really good would would benefit the most um so yeah like lower hutt um auckland um christchurch queenstown have been some of our big focuses so far and also anywhere that has done significant like upzoning recently yeah uh, because because obviously, like we said before, that kind of works really well in conjunction with the land value rates policy. Um, so places like I think we're aware of 
Kapiti has done a big upzoning. Lower Hutt has, um, Nelson has, I think Rua has, and definitely some other ones that we don't know about. Yeah. So anywhere that anywhere that has done that kind of upzoning, we're definitely interested in in making contact with people. Um, it's still, you know, we're in quite early stages compared to Wellington, where we, you know, have, have been quite involved in this for the last year. We're in quite early stages in a lot of other cities, but we're laying some groundwork and hoping to get some get some real progress done. And then we'll definitely be hoping to make it a big issue in the uh, 2025 local elections. Excellent. So everyone in in sort of the the tier one authorities, uh, Auckland, Hamilton, Tauranga, Wellington, Christchurch, definitely um, should be should be looking towards this to go hand in hand with that uh, upzoning on the back of the national policy statement on urban development, and then uh, yeah, Rotorua, um obviously and Nelson have both been quite progressive in in recent zoning changes as well. That's that's excellent. So if if someone wants to reach out to you whether they're maybe looking to help out or whether they they've got questions, maybe they're a counselor, maybe they're a uh, a member of staff in a local council, how how are they best to reach out to you? Yeah, so uh, uh, mainly three ways to reach out to us. Um, the best is probably by email. Um, so you can email us at contact at common ground, common-ground.org.nz. Um, so that that is probably the best way to reach out to us. You can also find us on Twitter and on Facebook, um, Common Ground Aotearoa. Um, and we also have our website, common-ground.org.nz, um, where you can well, you can find our email and our social medias on there. And you can also subscribe to our newsletter. Um, but yeah, mm. email, Twitter, Facebook, best way to go forward. And I definitely want to stress that we are very happy to respond to any kind of questions, any kind of interest from anyone at any level, but in particular people involved in local government. Um, so definitely if you feel like reaching out, but you're unsure, um, feel free to err on the side of getting in touch because we really love to hear from people. That's really excellent. I will I will put some links below, below this recording. Um, it's, this has been a really interesting conversation, and um, while it sounds like there's a lot of work to do, it sounds like you've already done a lot of work um, contributing to this uh, conversation. Um, so firstly, thank you for that. Um, do you have anything you'd like to say before before we wrap up? Um I guess, I guess, like, um, there's a, this kind of notion, like this, maybe, maybe just like an overarching kind of point, which is that um, there's this notion of like sometimes a policy can feel too good to be true. You know, you have you have <laughs> people who come along for kind of they're not really that you know they don't have many many years of experience in the local government sector. They have this policy. Um, they say it's going to fix housing. It's going to mean lower rent. It's going to mean lower rates. It's going to mean lower rent and housing prices. It's going to mean better tr- better ability to fund transport projects. I can imagine someone kind of listening to all this and being like, "What's the catch? You know, why 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 haven't we done this before? This feels like suspicious. You know, surely we're not just leaving this." Um, leaving this billion dollar note lying on the ground. Um, but I want to encourage people to kind of think optimistically and to think just because that we've had long term problems in New Zealand with housing, with local government, um, doesn't mean that there aren't solutions out there that can fix, you know, many or all of our problems. Um, there are a lot of reasons um, mostly political reasons why these kinds of solutions haven't been enacted in the past. Um, but just because 
you know, we've 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 had a like a failure of imagination and a failure of good solutions over the last few decades doesn't mean that real solutions don't exist. And if it's and if it sounds too good to be true, it is true, which just means it's really good. And so I encourage you, <laughs> even if it sounds like and I encourage you if it feels too good to be true, but you think, wow, this is an amazing idea. Like, you know, get in touch with us, do some more reading. Um, we're happy to provide lots of resources and we're happy to help people um, overcome that kind of first like kind of uncertainty and um come to the conclusion that we have come to which is that it's just a very good idea excellent anything to add aiden um yeah i guess we're really interested in helping uh counselors and council staffers and people across new zealand learn why this is such a good policy i think historically uh, as Jesse alluded to, one of the reasons why this hasn't been implemented is it's just kind of hard to understand, right? It's hard to do this uh, analysis in your head about like what the difference between capital and, and land value rates looks like. So we're really interested in, in helping people learn that through um, through reading material and through courses as well. Maybe we'll create some videos in the future. So if you're interested in in learning anything, we'd love to to to, to just chat to you. Um, and and try and understand where people uh, struggle with understanding the policy. That's fantastic. A big thank you for joining today. Uh, this has been a really fascinating conversation, and I'm sure those listening will have enjoyed it too. Thank you. Cheers. Kia ora. This was the first time on Better Things Are Possible that we have used the audio podcast format. So thank you for listening. And if you've enjoyed this format, please do let us know. If you're not already subscribed, please consider subscribing and check out the further details about Common Ground to Aotearoa, including a link to their website and substack in the post below. Nami hinui.